This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. We are back for our preview episode of the opening line. The week 12 action is on its way and here to help you break down those matchups and make sense of where the value might be in the market is Adam Chernoff. You good, Adam? Doing well. We got a lot of really positive feedback on the Monday episode, so there's some serious pressure to deliver with this one. Glad to hear it. Well, we've got some interesting games to analyze so we can jump straight into it. Let's do it. Right, Miami Dolphins at the Cleveland Browns and not a great deal on, of, of movement with the handicap here. Cleveland's still on minus 11 that they opened up at. The over-under has bumped up a point and a half to 45 and a half. Two teams probably going the opposite way here in terms of market perception. You've got the Dolphins going through a bit of a sell phase in terms of those big handicap marks while the Browns are beginning to see some results and get some market attention after a big drop. So are we going to see that impressive Browns performance that, been, that we've been waiting for, do you think? Well, I think we've seen a couple impressive performances from them the last few weeks, but they've either been overshadowed by some extremely costly turnovers in the case of the Patriots game, uh, an inability to score in the red zone in the Broncos game, uh, Miles Garrett hitting Mason Rudolph over the head with his own helmet in the Steelers game. Uh, but it's been like this team is, is putting together fantastic numbers within the context of the four quarters, uh, but they just can't seem to really carry that perception out in past the game um i I, this point spread i think is probably a little bit too high Uh, i'm certainly not going to be interested in backing the miami dolphins in this spot worth noting that ryan fitzpatrick has been limited both wednesday and thursday in practice with a shoulder and a forearm injury Uh, and there's a pretty extensive list of injuries on both sides of the football for the dolphins but we're sort of at the point now especially at this time of the season where we're really looking at essentially replacement level players replacing replacement level players. So it, it's not like anything's going to make too drastic of a move. I don't mind this overlook. It's not one I've bet personally, but I understand the move. If Fitzpatrick ends up being limited or not 100%, then that makes it look very, very different. As we've talked about here on the show a couple of times with him in, it presents the opportunity for deep passes to be completed uh, he's extremely aggressive with the football. Anything other than a Fitzpatrick performance at 100% probably puts this total a bit out of reach. So a very good game to stay away from in all regards. And if you rewind a couple of weeks, I mean, a lot of people were talking about the Browns being down and out. I think I posed the question to you and you said there was there was life left in them yet and there was potential there. Is that still a playoffs a playoffs looking likely now or more likely, do you think? Uh, there's a couple things that sort of have to shake out, but there's no doubt that they have the easiest schedule the rest of the way in their final six games. So from that perspective, it could set up quite well. You look Dolphins, Steelers, Bengals, Cardinals, Ravens at home, and then the Bengals. Uh, very much a realistic possibility that the Browns could win their final six games of the season. Uh, and then that puts them at 10 and 6, which should be good enough for, at worst, a wild card spot. Um, if not, potentially, I, division's probably out of reach, but certainly wild card spots still very much in play for the Browns. Right, so we'll move on to the Denver Broncos at the Buffalo Bills. In this one, we talked about how the, the low total might be impacting the handicap. The total has gone up to 37, 37 and a half, and the Bills have gone down to minus 4. 
it, it kind of looks like the Broncos could have a decent run game, but they don't maybe use it as much as they should. And if there's ever a game to do it, it's going to be against the Bills, who are they're so good against the pass, but not very good at stopping people on the ground. So could it be a good matchup for the Broncos, do you think? Is that where we're seeing the market move this way? It is a tremendous matchup for the Broncos on both sides of the football. And I've well established the Jared Goff betting checklist. Uh, I think it's probably time to establish the Josh Allen handicapping checklist. And really in games that Allen plays, you're looking for, is he facing a top 20 pass rush? And is he facing a top 20 secondary? And then, of course, the third, is he laying points? And when you see the answer being yes to all three of those, as it is in this game, a certainly good reason to look the other way and to put some context to those numbers. Josh Allen under pressure has an adjusted completion percentage of 57%. That's 28th in the league and a passer rating of 54 with four INTs to three touchdowns. In comparison from a clean pocket, 57% jumps all the way up to 78%. His passer rating of 54 jumps all the way up to 97. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. So it's essential that he has a clean pocket if you want this Buffalo Bills team to have success throwing the football. Very difficult to anticipate that happening against the Denver Broncos, who are 7th in defensive line yards, 12th in adjusted sack rate, top 10 in pass rush grade. Uh, It's a potential for the Broncos to get in the backfield. But more importantly, this Broncos secondary, extremely good. Top 15 in pass efficiency defense, 11th in passing success rate defense. Uh, You look at the Bills in their games this season, uh, when they've had to face teams inside of the top 15, they have not fared well. You look at the Broncos when they're facing teams that rank 20 or worse, Tennessee and Cleveland, they held those two teams to 0 and 19 points. So you're looking at a Bills team with their numbers very much validated by a weak schedule. And this is a pretty enormous step up in terms of talent, both from the pass rush and the secondary perspective, low totals well justified. Uh, but there's very good reason that this Broncos t- uh, point spread has come down and a lot of very positive things coming out of the locker room following that loss against the Minnesota Vikings. Denver's been consistently competitive in games that they've lost, um, holding leads in all but one of them. Um, so this is a spot where I think the Broncos at that original number certainly got into my account in a hurry. Um at four or better, you're looking at a really good side here with Denver Broncos on Sunday. And another name on the Adam Chernoff hit list. We've got Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Gardner Minshew. It's getting longer and longer. <laughs> it's get, it's that time of year. Right, now we'll move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cincinnati, Cincinnati Bengals. And we, we did say this is one that the market might bite back at the Steelers at minus six to get them to the minus six and a half that they opened at. And that is exactly what's happened. The over-under has continued to drop from 40 and it's now on 38. I think you said you had the Bengals down as the worst team in the league, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that probably share that view. And the Steelers don't necessarily need an elite quarterback to cause them trouble, but Rudolph will, will be a concern for them. I mean, aside from taking a helmet to the head, he hasn't really done much over the last couple of games. Is he good enough here to help the Steelers get the win, or is there any chance that the Bengals get that first win of the season, do you think? The Bengals have become like strangely a sort of trendy, popular underdog this week, and I really have no idea why. Um, And it's just the fact that their offense, bottom four in both passing and rushing success rate in the league on offense, they're going up against the Steelers' defense uh, that's top seven in both categories. So that, I mean, it's just a horrific matchup 
for the Bengals on offense against the Steelers defense, which really isn't getting the sort of press that it deserves a lot in this game has been disguised by that incident last Thursday. Um, so a lot of people are just sort of settling for a lazy handicap here and fading the Steelers just based on what their offense or lack thereof is likely to provide this game. But you look at the Bengals as well. Uh, this is going to be the easiest defense that the Steelers have faced this season. And I get it. Running backs, number one running back, James Conner. You're looking at number one and number two wide receivers, all banged up, limited practice, questionable status to play. Um, offensive linemen, the center for the Steelers, going to be out for this game. He's suspended. Um, it, there's a lot that's going on on the Steelers' side that really leaves me hesitant to lay six and a half points on the road. But the fact that we're seeing this price, despite all the injuries and all the suspensions, I think says everything you need to know about this game. As you mentioned, anticipated that this would get back to seven. It looks like it might get there, um, but I think that six, six and a half is probably a fair settling point now, judging at this time of the week. Another very good game to avoid at all costs. Right, so we'll move on to the Oakland Raiders at the New York Jets, and I think we're getting pretty good at this, you know. In the, the pod early in the week, we said that the Raiders get to the flat three, and that's exactly where we're at. The over over-under has dropped half a point to 46 and a half and I mean that one looks pretty set now obviously you've got Josh Jacobs looking good for the Raiders they are coming up against the best run defense in the league in the Jets it seems that the Raiders are going to need to rely on Derek Carr to to get something out of this game and obviously the same could be said for the Jets with Sam Darnold and, and he's been the key to the good run at the moment does the good form continue for the Jets or is that that lucky charm you've put on the MetLife Stadium has that run its course do you think well, I, I hope not, but actually from a more serious sort of analysis perspective, I I think that it continues and the Jets are able to find another win here against the Raiders. Um, it might be hard to separate enthusiasm as a fan from enthusiasm as a better, but um, certainly the case here. The one sort of point of caution I would have about the Jets, um, which is why I think that this total has moved up from 45 to 46 and a half, uh, since we spoke on Monday after that initial move to the under, which probably wasn't entirely truthful in terms of the the position that it represented at the time as we saw it come back the other way pretty quickly. Um, the Jets secondary, obviously a huge issue of concern. Um, really, the question centers around Daryl Roberts. If he's out, their corners, Brian Poole, Arthur Maulet, Blasson Austin, and May Reese. Canada, which are four names that I would have really anticipate maybe one to two percent of listeners recognizing one of the four and probably a lesser percentage recognizing two or more of those four names. So and these guys have been playing for the last two weeks, but it's really gone really gone unnoticed because the Jets have faced opponents that rank 27th and 31st in pass efficiency the last two weeks. So it's been a very favorable matchup for the Jets defense. Uh, the last two Sundays going to change quite a bit when you think that the Oakland Raiders are top six in pass efficiency offense. But I have questions about how they move the football. The Raiders had a very easy opponent in the Cincinnati Bengals, quite similar to how the Jets match up with some of these injuries. But the Oakland Raiders are not a deep passing team. They run the West Coast offense under John Gruden. Derek Carr gets the ball out as quick as any quarterback in the NFL. They run short routes. So playing underneath doesn't necessarily benefit the Raiders here. It's actually something that the Jets can cover quite well. Um, so I think initially, also considering the fact that the Raiders love to run the football and the Jets number one 
against a rush in their front seven for the season. Uh, it's going to probably cause the Raiders a bit of a slow start. And you also add in the fact that John Gruden is as good of a game planner as he is, has put together some weak performances on the road in far as a game plan this season. So it's their first travel spot in about a month after that lengthy road trip between week two and week nine. So uh, might see a, a bit of sort of a slow start for the Raiders. I think that gives the Jets an advantage. Uh, the New York offense has come together the last couple of weeks. They're facing the Oakland Raiders defense, just 23rd in pass success rate, 20th in rush success rate defense. And both of those numbers trending towards 30th in the last four weeks, 29th overall in defensive efficiency. So two very weak secondaries, two offenses that are moving the football well. I think the Raiders have a bit of a slow start, which gives the Jets the advantage, but I think we'll see plenty of points in this game. I think you talked about the the Raiders and plenty of mistakes against the Bengals. Is that When that happens in the game, do you kind of think it's a one-off, maybe look past it, or is, is there more to it? Is there something that maybe a pattern develops of certain types of mistakes that then obviously become more important in your analysis? It, it, it's something I'm sort of keeping an eye on. It's the first time we've really seen it from the Raiders this entire season, uh, which is a bit weird to say, knowing the history of this team. Uh, but it, they're very well coached this year overall. Um, so it was strange to see them sort of take last week off in many ways against the Bengals, and that's maybe sort of opponent driven in many ways but um it's something i'm circling it's not something i'm necessarily factoring into this but um it's something that i'm certainly keeping an eye on as the raiders much like the browns have a very good look at running out some of their schedule to potentially earn a wild card spot so something to just keep an eye on and with the jets i mean jokes aside and obviously we talk about this lucky charm clearly tongue-in-cheek and hopefully people listening know it's tongue-in-cheek but is there do you have any advice for people out there? Often that kind of connection between fan and better and making sure there's a clear divide is, is very important. Is that something maybe you went through when you first started out betting or is it something you've been fine with but you could help other people that maybe struggle with that differentiation? I think that anyone would be lying if they're a fan of a team and they would say that they haven't had issues betting on or against them. Um, now that I've been doing this for 12 years i've sort of been able to get over that i will say that i think the most difficult thing for me dealing with it is now especially that i'm doing sort of a lot of media it becomes a little bit difficult to balance the talking about it and i think in many ways that's somewhat led me to overlook a lot of their prices initially upon opening like sunday evening monday morning um, just because it's almost like the other things that i'm doing around betting have in turn sort of shaped the way that I think initially. So uh, it, it's a weird sort of balance for me, but I, I've certainly moved past the point where uh, like I'm, I'm not betting on them every single week because it's fun and it makes the game more enjoyable, or I'm intentionally avoiding them every single time because I'm a fan of the team and I don't want to go against it. So I think it's just a balance. You have to be sort of self-aware enough to know that if it's your favorite team and you're betting on them every week, if you're doing that to try make a serious living or to make any sort of money and you're not just doing it for fun, um, then that's probably a problem. But if you're just doing it for fun and you can realize that and you're trying to add more enjoyment, uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with that either. So it, it really comes down to you. But as long as you're aware of it, I think that's the most important thing. Right. So we'll move on to the Carolina Panthers at the New Orleans Saints and bit of back and forth on this one. It was minus nine and a half on the Saints initially. It dropped down to minus eight and a half. It's now 
bounced back to minus 10. The over-under initially dropped from 48 to 47, and it's still on that mark now. So we've got Drew Brees with what you perceive to be a, a dodgy arm, maybe. You've got Kyle Allen, who looked good initially and has really struggled since then, and the danger of Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara in the mix. I mean, there's there's so much going on here, and the market can't seem to make his mind up. Can you? I, I don't need to make my mind up about his arm, and I don't think it's perceived anymore. If you watch that game last week against Tampa Bay, uh, there there were throws that were consistently one hop to receivers. And it was funny because the Saints' official Twitter account put out a video and it said, look at all of Drew Brees' best throws from the game against Tampa Bay. And if you watch it, aside from one throw from the opposite hash mark inside the 10-yard line to the far corner, Every single throw was a check down underneath or an underneath route uh, within 10 yards or closer to the line of scrimmage. Anything that went beyond that was in between the hash marks. Uh, so there was no added distance going left or right to either sideline. Like it's, it's out there. Um, I was chatting with a couple other people and there was an interesting comment made that, well, Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl with an equally dead arm a couple of years ago with the Denver Broncos, which is absolutely true. Um, so it, like I say this and it's more me saying it because nobody else is necessarily talking about it within the media. Like it's not a story out there. It doesn't necessarily make the saints a worse football team. Michael Thomas still finding ways to incredibly get open. Alvin Kamara and Murray out of the backfield are really shouldering a lot of the load and this offensive line is playing fantastic. So like the saints are making it work. But I think that it becomes a limitation at some point in the future, which which holds the Saints back um, from from potentially winning a very big game once we get into late December and January. As long as people aren't talking about it, I certainly think there might be an edge that is presented there. Uh, in this game specifically, I thought there would initially be some buyback with the Panthers once this got to 10. I'm a bit surprised that there hasn't. But from a matchup perspective, the Saints going against this soft middle defense of the Carolina Panthers actually sets up quite well, again, to disguise a lot of these issues within the vertical passing game. So a bit of a decent matchup here for the Saints. Uh, I guess I understand the move up, but it's another game that at this number, I just don't see a reason to get involved. I do think that this total right now at 47 this morning does continue to move down just based on how these two teams are going to attack each other. And those, the the receivers kind of making adjustments and stuff like this, this is stuff that, that you see in the game that might not be borne out in the data. So do you think that's something that you you need to know the game and not just what the data says in this case? Uh, for successfully betting, I think it's extremely difficult to have success betting the NFL and not know the game or be watching for a number of different things. And I say that knowing that there's a pretty fine line between really sort of overfitting your eye test into the market, which I see a lot of from people who are getting very into the film study, um, sort of the advanced play-by-play -play analytics, EPA, things like that. Um, I'm seeing a lot of that sort of turning into overfitting and not betting into something that the market deems important. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a fine line. I tend to, because I'm a football fan and I do this and I watch so much of it. Um, I tend to sort of taper off a lot of what I see from the eye test and then try just sort of big picture, high level it in terms of like, different personnel groups within the field, whether it be like specific areas, secondaries, front sevens, 
quarterbacks. And, and then you can sort of back that into numbers that you'll see have an impact within the market. But it's um, you absolutely, I think, have to be able to interpret what you're watching. Um, it's just important not to end up sort of trapping yourself and overfitting what you see with your eyes. Right, so now we've got Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Atlanta Falcons. And as far as the handicap's concerned, not much movement here after that initial drop from minus four and a half to minus four. But it's it's all about the total on this one, 54 down to 51. The number you said you were waiting on, you got exactly what you wanted. So now you can tell us why the, the over on the total makes sense and, and how the matchup works out. So second time in three weeks that the Tampa Bay total opened at 54 and a half and got bet down to 51 and then made a U-turn the other way. This one, not as substantial as what we saw with the Arizona midweek move, which got to 52 and a half. Uh, but I still think that it was pretty interesting to see how this sort of set up in a way. And now this, as soon as it hit 51, went back to 51 and a half. Um, it's either 51 and a half or 51 tilted to the 51 and a half. So over money certainly come in. And this is all just numbers versus narrative and, and specifically within the narrative. Everyone's pointing to the Falcons. The, the resurgence, Dan Quinn passing off the coaching or the play calling duties to his wide receiver and linebacker coach who now split downs. You listen to the players and they say not much has changed. You look at sort of snap counts and see um, what has actually been any different. And you see that Claiborne has been added to the defensive line and just people in the secondary, Casey and Allen, have been switched at their position. They're both safeties, but they swap between free safety and strong safety. So like, it's nothing substantial. But I think a lot of this comes down to just a two-game sample size within the 16-game season. There's a lot of positive luck for the Falcons. You look at the Saints, they put up 310 yards. The Panthers, 347. So 657 total yards allowed and just 12 points conceded. That's a pretty big discrepancy between yards allowed and points conceded. And an easy way to sort of look at this, the league median for yards per point is right at 15. So if you're reconstructing the box scores post-game, just an easy trick to do as a, a better or just a fan of the league is to divide the total yards for each team by 15. And you can see sort of an expected points based on the yards per point average within the league. And when you do that with 657, you're looking at a number just shy of 44 and the Falcons have conceded just 12 points. So at this point, you have to ask yourself why and try to figure out what happened. Obviously, two games where teams have had a lot of success against this defense. You look at what the Falcons have allowed, 20 drives against them. Nine of them had first downs inside the Atlanta 30, and four of the 20 had first downs inside of the 10-yard line. The Falcons also benefited from interceptions inside their own end zone at their four-yard line and their six-yard line. So there's a lot of luck, a lot of timely defense, and a lot of very fortunate plays in the last two weeks that I think combined with this narrative that Dan Quinn has pushed things off has really benefited the Falcons overall from a narrative perspective. But the numbers are still there. And you look at this matchup, Jameis Winston second in air yards per throw. Only Matthew Stafford attempts deeper balls, their deeper balls per pass down the field. You still look at Jameis Winston. He's throwing it past the sticks on every throw. And with Stafford out of the league, obviously those numbers are his out of the league with an injury. But those numbers stay static. Falcons sixth in passing success rate, both of these secondaries for the season, 25th or worse in pass defense success rate. 
those two names I talked about earlier, Claiborne and Tack McKinley, neither of them have practiced. The Buccaneers have not had three of their linebackers at practice each this season. So a bit of an interesting back and forth here as we look at a bit of numbers and on-field analysis against the narrative, uh, which tend to really support the over here. So that game three weeks ago got over that total of 51, ended in the high 50s. I think there's a very similar case here as both of these teams go up and down the field. Well, I asked for an explanation and we got a pretty good one. There we go. That's, that's the point. We have to deliver today after Monday. Right, so now we'll get onto the Detroit Lions at the Washington Redskins, and, and this one really jumped out from that early preview pod after it was a couple of hours, the numbers hit the board. At Pinnacle, the Lions went from minus 2.5 to minus 3.5, and, and obviously it's an important move, and it seems fairly balanced since then. The, the over-under has dropped half a point to 40.5. I think you said this one was a, a simple fade on the Redskins rather than buying into the Lions per se, and there's not really much to go on with Jeff Driscoll at the moment. It seems like the Redskins are just hoping that somehow, some way, Haskins picks his game up. We talked a bit about it before, and but the market has settled on on this um, these numbers. Do you think it's the right place, or, or is there more movement to come? I think that it's probably going to come back down to a flat three, maybe, would be my guess looking at this number right now. Obviously, a pretty substantial move from two and a half to three and a half. Uh, Driscoll looked okay outside of the pocket, was able to move the ball against that Cowboys defense, which is equally as poor as this Redskins defense. So it's not like it's a big step up in competition for Driscoll. But like, like you said, it's just the fate of the Redskins within this market. Nobody's buying into Bill Callahan. The run rate since he took over the team has gone up substantially from 30% to near 50%. Um, so it, it's just a poor matchup overall. You get Dwayne Haskins against... Uh, this Detroit secondary, which does have two key pieces of shutdown corners. So it, it's just a terrible matchup. It's a terrible game. If you got Detroit two and a half, great. Uh, if you're looking at three and a half and 40 and a half, stay away. All right. So our next game is the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Tennessee Titans. It looked like this would be one of the more stable markets after those initial odds went up. And that's exactly been the case. Slight movement on the handicap from Tennessee minus three to minus three and a half and the over under on, on the 41 and a half that it opened at. So, Titans come in off a rest. The Jaguars uh, are decent against the pass, but they struggle a bit against the run, and that's probably where the Titans and Derrick Henry will get some success. We've had one game to see Nick Foles after he's back from injury, and it looks like he needs a bit more time on the field to get up to speed. Is your man on the hit list, Gardner Minshew, going to come back maybe? Um, but do you think Foles is going to improve enough to, to get the Jaguars a win here? I like that you nailed that, brought back the Minshew love that I had, but you also nailed success in stride with another S word following it, which is very difficult to do. Uh, so we're improving on last week's podcast, but you nailed the handicap, really. I don't need to say too much more. Um, you look at the Tennessee Titans. They love to work through Derrick Henry. The last time the Titans played the Jaguars, I think everyone will remember that enormous run that Henry riled off a 99-yard rush. So um, this is another spot where the Jaguars this season, 30th, in rushing success rate defense. So it sets up for the Titans offense extremely well. Um, Ryan Tannehill, very much undervalued as a whole. Looks like he'll get Delaney Walker back. Um, looks like a, a number of other players on the offensive side are all um, at least a limited participant on Wednesday, trending towards playing as well. So he's getting some pieces back in the passing game. I think that's why we've seen this come off of the three and move to three and a half. Uh, it's a very good matchup for the Titans on their offense. And from the Jaguars perspective, they're facing a Tennessee defense, which is significantly weaker in the secondary than they are up front. And the one sort of pause for concern 
Doug Marone said he really wants to work Leonard Fournette. Um, so we could see sort of the old-fashioned traditional divisional game plan here from a pretty archaic coach in many ways. But I think that sort of with the success that Tennessee is going to have moving the football, in many ways is going to force the Jacksonville Jaguars to throw the football and at least try push the ball downfield, which sets up very well against this Titans secondary. So a nice spot where both of these teams probably do quite well moving the football and this total ends up looking a little bit short. You see, when you're putting that time in, analyzing the games and crunching the numbers, I'm just working on my pronunciation. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the hardest part about all of this. Right, so Dallas Cowboys at the New England Patriots. We know this one's going to see a lot of money in the market, but it, it hasn't had too much influence at the moment. That was that an initial buy at the Cowboys, but now it's back to the minus six and a half that it opened at, and the over-under has dropped a point from 46 to 45. The majority of the betting public are going to be interested in this one. I'm sure our listeners are going to be interested to get your thoughts on it. So what are you thinking? It's, this is probably the most difficult game to, I guess, bet into on the entire card. It's going to draw a lot of action, as you mentioned, because it's one or two afternoon games, and it's really going to be the focal point for everyone after a very busy morning. Um, I have both of these teams from an upside perspective. We talked on Monday about my power ratings and how they are within a range of a, so there's a midpoint, there's a low and a high. If we just sort the league by high, so we're looking at if every team played their best possible game, where would I rank them? I have New England one and Dallas two. So from the upside perspective, uh, it's a very tight matchup if both teams put forward their best effort. Um, from just a where they are right now, uh, this number actually isn't too unreasonable when you factor in the New England home field advantage. But then I go to handicap the game, and there's really no way that you can make a case for not taking the six and a half with the Dallas Cowboys offense. Now you look at what they do. They lead the league in passing success rate, third in rushing success rate, the most explosive passing offense and eighth in rushing. And so the only other opponent that New England has faced inside the top 10 for offensive efficiency this entire season was Baltimore at third, and the Ravens put up 37. Dallas, obviously, a step up going from third to first in that category. Um, I think that a lot of people probably looking at this game from a how can Dallas pass the football on the Patriots, but I think it's going to be how consistently can the Cowboys run the football against the Patriots defense. So it, it's I, initially, I think a lot of people would expect it to look a lot different than what we saw the Ravens do to the Patriots. But I think a lot of the game plan going to be quite similar and just a little bit more physicality up front, which the, the, the Dallas Cowboys can offer in comparison to the Ravens. So very difficult matchup for the Patriots defense from that perspective, but the Patriots just find ways to win games. They won another game last week at sub 4.3 yards per play. Um, it's just in this spot, uh, can you trust Dak Prescott on the road and this game plan that we've seen the Dallas Cowboys put together in some of their biggest spots this season where they've continuously flopped except for that game against the Eagles. So uh, it's a little bit concerning and you check in the fact that the Cowboys defense, really the big liability of the team last two weeks, they've allowed Minnesota and Detroit to score a combined 55 points, 22nd or worse in pass and rushing defensive success rate. This Patriots tend to go a little bit more up-tempo like we've seen, and Brady gets to throw the football another 40-plus times. 
I think the Patriots are going to score some points of their own. So six and a half, I think the fact that it's held for much of the week is quite telling about how the market sees both of these teams. You factor in the home field and you see this on the neutral. I think that this price is quite fair. That's why we haven't seen any movement. So another game that probably fun to watch, but not so much to bet. And just on the the quarterback situation there, I know probably by his his usual standards, Brady's not not quite at the levels that he's been at before, but Dak Prescott as well seems to be getting a lot of hype at the moment. Do you think that's that's undeserved or...? Uh, it's certainly deserved, and I think that there's uh, what we've seen from their receivers has been sort of rallying around him and, and complementing his style of play very well. When this offense is given the play calls to succeed, they're the, they're the best in the NFL. There's no question about it, which is why I have them rated so high with their upside. It's just a matter of getting that upside week after week from this coaching staff which has sort of been a limitation on the team so far this season. But um, no question that Prescott is deserving of the press that he's getting. Um, and this is going to be his one of his most difficult tests in terms of passing defenses. So a good spot for him to validate a lot of the question marks around him this week. Right, so now we've got the Seattle Seahawks at the Philadelphia Eagles. And just said about the last game, not too much movement just yet, but this one was, I mean, the, the market was desperate to get involved in at the early numbers. The, the Eagles opened up at minus three. They're now sitting on minus one. We know it's not so much what happens from the three down, but the, it's obviously important that they've, they've gone through that number. Um, bit of a movement on the over-under as well from 90, 49 down to 47 and a half. You were just kind of talking about your power ratings in the last game. It's it's kind of something that's come up quite a bit on the, the podcast recently and you said the Seahawks are kind of maxed out. They're playing to their full potential, while the Eagles are a team that have got plenty of room for improvement. So is that improvement going to come this weekend, do you think? Or is it the Seahawks that are going to get another impressive win? I I don't know. And that's a terrible podcast answer. Um, I, took, <laughs> I took Seattle at plus money just because I anticipated this number coming down. Uh, but I'm having serious thoughts about selling out. And... The one thing that I would say sort of working in the favor here of the Seattle Seahawks at this point in the season, and I think any point in the season, this is a valuable lesson for anyone listening. You want to value comparables and not trends. So when you value comparables and not trends, what does this mean? I'm saying seek similar matchups to analyze the handicap rather than data mining for a statistic or an angle that fits the narrative that you want to believe. So working this out, if you want to back the Philadelphia Eagles this week, chances are that you're pointing to their strength on defense. They're sixth in defensive efficiency. On the other side, if you want to back Seattle, you're probably looking at their offense. That's their strength. They're fourth in offensive efficiency. And when I say comparables, go back and look through the schedule and see how both of these strengths have fared against equally strong competition. So if we do that with Seattle and we look back, they face four teams this season that are top 10 in defensive efficiency. So comparable to the Philadelphia Eagles at sixth. Seahawks specifically, they played the third, fifth, eighth, and second ranked teams. In those four games, Seattle has scored 28, 27, 30 and 27 points, won three of the four outright. So when we're looking at Seattle's offense against comparables to the Eagles' defensive strength, they've done quite well. If we go to the other side of the football, Philadelphia has faced four teams inside the top 10 for offensive efficiency this year, 
again, comparable to the Seahawks offense. Eagles have played the 10th, 5th, 6th, and 1st ranked teams. The Eagles have conceded 27, 27, 38, and 37 points in those games. Lost three of the four outright. So if you're handicapping this game and you're looking at the strengths of both teams, it's very difficult to use that as the main focus of your handicap because if you're looking at this strength on strength, it really, really, really favors the Seahawks, which is why I think we've seen this number come down. So if you're trying to make a case for the Eagles, you really have to look for their offense, which has been one of the struggling points, and you're expecting them to really need to put together one of their best performances. We talked about upside with the Cowboys and the Patriots being one and two. I have the Eagles right there, equal to the Cowboys at number two within my power ratings in terms of what happens if a team plays to their upside. And so if I'm looking for that range of performance, it's a bit difficult for me to expect that to happen when the Eagles are likely to be without Lane Johnson and Jason Peters on the offensive line, Jordan Howard in the backward backfield, and Alshon Jeffrey out wide. Looks like Jeffrey could be trending in the right direction, but the other three unlikely to play this Sunday. So three key pieces from the offense not going to be there, even if the Eagles' effort is there in what's really becoming a must-win game for this season. It's a bit difficult to get that high-level performance. And the way that the Seahawks can run play action, how this Eagles secondary, which is much improved, bites so hard, as we saw against the Minnesota and Cowboys games. Uh, this is just a tough matchup for Philadelphia. But again, it, it's strength on strength, so I like the Seahawks. But if it gets down and sort of flips through Pickham and we're seeing the Eagles at plus money, I think I'm just going to take plus money tickets with both teams and call it a day on this one. And then obviously we're, we're talking about games this week, but how much in your mind are you also thinking about, you've kind of said the Seahawks are maxed out. If they if they then go and get maybe a, a slightly inflated win against the Eagles, we know there's going to be another big reaction next week. Is that you're, you're kind of planning ahead for that as well? That's more of like a sort of feel thing that I've got quite good at. Um, I, I don't get too hung up on last week, next week in terms of just sort of a set structured timeline. But um, it's certainly something that I, that I keep an eye on and it just becomes a feel thing. But the Seahawks, again, top of their range, but they're taking money week after week. So it might tell me that potentially my ratings are wrong with how high I have this team rated. Uh, and I need to make a little bit of an adjustment. So it's just a, a sort of a case-by-case fun. Right, so next up, we've got the Green Bay Packers at the San Francisco 49ers, and one that the traders seem to have got spot on with the handicap at the, the 49ers minus three. The market well, is well-balanced, and it's, it's hard to see much movement at that number. Um, the over-under, meanwhile, has had a bit of interest, and it's dropped from 49 to 47.5. So we had just a a weird play at the end of the Cardinals game that boosted the box score for the 49ers. Green Bay have obviously had the benefit of a rest. Everyone's big on the 49ers while the Packers have got a bit of a, a fortunate, shall we say, but solid eight and two record. It seems like it's going to be a close one to call judging by the odds and, and what we've seen from the market so far. So are you leaning either way on this one? Uh, I think that this comes off of the three and gets to three and a half. So if you are looking at three with the 49ers, you do like them. You probably want to take that as soon as you're hearing this podcast. Um, midweek reports from the injury perspective, Debo Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, Matt Breida, George Kittle, D. Ford, Kwan Williams, another two defensive players on the report for the 49ers. Looking a lot more positive now. George Kittle let it slip in an interview that he's going to play. Um, so that's a huge boost for this offense overall. Looks like Sanders and Samuel 
trending in the right direction too. So a big boost for this 49ers offense. I think this game and this analysis is quite simple. The Green Bay Packers, they struggle against a couple of things that are very specific on defense. Running backs receiving the football, tight ends catching, and play action. If you want to describe the San Francisco 49ers, they specialize in all three of those things in offense. So it's a very difficult matchup for the Packers in this situation. Uh, Green Bay went through a span of opposing offenses that they faced ranked between 3rd and 11th from week 5 to 9, and they gave up at least 24 points in each. So a pretty big weakness for them right in the middle of their of their defense. They can't get pressure when opponents run play action. I think this is a spot that sets up quite well for San Francisco. Right, so last but not least, Baltimore Ravens at the LA Rams. Ravens are minus 3, and the over-under is 46.5. I don't say it, but there was so much hype last year around the Rams, Jared Goff and Sean McVay. But since that poor showing in the Super Bowl, it's been pretty much all downhill. I think last week things maybe looked a little bit better against the Bears with Todd Gurley seeing plenty of the ball, but they got they got a very, very, very difficult opponent in the Ravens. So it seems like the people are waiting for the fall of the Ravens. Do you think that's on the cards or, or will they continue to impress? Last game of the week, and I guess we'll leave everyone with a surprise. I think what you just said about this being a difficult matchup for the Rams, actually the opposite. It's a very difficult matchup for the Baltimore Ravens. And I think I might shock some people, but I'm going to go ahead and back Jared Goff. Again, we talk about the checklist, right? Is he on the road? Is he under pressure? And is he laying points? And this is a rare situation where the answer is going to be no to all three of those. The Ravens, 31st in pressure per pro football focus in the gradings, 23rd in adjusted sack rate. They blitz a lot, but they don't get a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. The last time the Rams faced a team worse than 18th in both of those categories was the Cincinnati Bengals. Not surprisingly, the best performance of the season for Jared Goff, 119 passer rating and 12.0 yards per attempt. This week, he gets Cooks back. Woods is trending towards playing. This offense is going to be healthy outside of some pieces on the offensive line. But again, with no pressure, that offensive line can likely hold up. There's also a benefit for the Rams running the football. The Ravens 31st in rush success rate defense. This is going to be the easiest opponent for the LA Rams this season. The last time they faced someone that was comparable was way back in week one, the Carolina Panthers. And they put up their best numbers running the football. And so the Rams' defense, again, we'll flip, the, we'll flip to the other side of the ball here. I think very much um, underrated by the market as a whole, but really sort of ignored by a lot of betters in general. This is a top five unit, both against the pass and against the run, since adjusting their secondary back four to five weeks ago. The Ravens this season, they've played just one team inside the top 10 for rush efficiency which was the Pittsburgh Steelers. In that game, they put up just 3.8 yards per play, and they desperately needed overtime just to sneak out a victory with a last-minute field goal in regulation and another one in the extra period. So this is a bit of an uncharted matchup for the Ravens that we've only seen once this season, and they've really, really struggled. Now they have to go across the country on the road to play the Rams in prime time on the West Coast. It's going to be a very difficult matchup for the Ravens to have success on either side of the football. And I think with the disrespect we've seen with this number, open one and the look ahead 
reopened minus three and a half and going through the key number of three worth about 10%. That's a very significant move considering both of these teams came off of a win last week. So the Ravens hype at an absolute peak here. We're seeing numbers versus narrative. This is a game where you can get three and a half. Absolutely go ahead and take it. If you're seeing a little bit less, probably want to just put the money line ticket in your pocket. I think the Rams went out red on Monday Night Football. Adam Chernoff being positive about Jared Goff. What a way to end the show. <laughs> it doesn't happen often, but it's going to happen this week. <laughs> well, that, that is the slate for week 12. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting to you, Adam. I'm sure our listeners have got plenty out of it. So thanks for coming in. And I'll, I'll speak to you again next week to do it all again. Looking forward to the games. Talk to you on Monday. And thanks to everyone for listening. As always, all the odds for week 12 are available on pinnacle.com. Good luck with any bets. And remember to please gamble responsibly. Gamble responsibly.